Who here loves Christmas movies? Raise your hand if you love Christmas movies. You have some Christmas movies you love. All right. What's your, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Somebody, what's yours? What's favorite? Charlie Brown Christmas. Very good. Favorite? White Christmas. Better than Holiday Inn. You like White Christmas better. Okay, yeah. Christmas Story. Oh, it, you'll poke your eye out, kid. Yeah. What's your favorite Christmas? Miracle on 34th Street. Very nice. You kind of look like Natalie Wood, actually. Is it very good? Yeah, what's that? Silver Bells. All right. Yes. Elf. I was waiting for the elf. There's always an elf. That's very good. All right. Whatever your favorite Christmas movie, nearly everyone, nearly everyone agrees that what I'm about to show you is the most famous Christmas scene ever filmed. Whatever your favorite movie, this is probably the most famous Christmas scene ever. Take it away, Linus. Is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Very nice. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Charles Schultz and Lee Mendelson produced a Charlie Brown Christmas with one very specific purpose, very clear purpose. They wanted to show that the stress, the materialism, the problems of the holiday season can be overcome. It can be overcome by a reminder of what is true. That's, that's why Linus quotes the Gospel of Luke. It's why the students in the story end up accepting a, a live Christmas tree as opposed to a pink aluminum one like they want to get in the beginning. It's why the story arcs the way it does. Look, look, very beginning of the film. This is the very first thing in the film. Charlie Brown says this. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy, all right? That's how the story begins. But at the end of the story, after Linus reminds Charlie about what Christmas is all about, our hero ends up smiling. He ends up joyful. He doesn't care about rejection or failure because he finally knows the meaning of Christmas. And Charlie is not the only one changed. The, the students who earlier laughed at Charlie Brown, they themselves come and decorate that real little tree. They even sing a song by another Mendelssohn, not the one who produced the show, but... Uh, but by Felix Mendelssohn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Remember the famous scene? The breathing alone is worth the watching.
And I love that they picked real little kids. And this is not a good, this isn't the Vienna Boys Choir. They sing like me, you know. They're bad. It's awesome. Just beautiful, beautiful stuff. Isn't that great? All right. And, and director Bill Melinda's added one other piece, one very significant thing to prove the point of the whole show. When he's quoting scripture, you notice this? When he's quoting scripture, Linus drops his blanket and stops sucking his thumb. Now, why have this kid, who always has his security blanket and is always sucking his thumb, why have him drop his security blanket right there when he's quoting Luke? Because the point of the story is peace comes when one understands and remembers what Christmas is all about. All God's people said? So tell me about your Christmas season so far. Wait, don't, you don't need to. I, I think I know. Most of us are much more like Christmas with the cranks than we are It's a Wonderful Life. I'm not here today to tell you anything you don't already know. But I am going to do what you and the Lord have set me aside to do. I'm going to remind each of us what Christmas really is all about. Because as Charles Schultz taught us, knowing that makes all the difference. Open your Bible, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Luke is the third book of your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, then Luke. Go to chapter 1, verse 35. And let's read it together. Luke 1, 35. The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Christmas is about the unique Son of God born to a virgin. Um, you'll see that title in our notes. You got a bulletin when you came in, right? Open your bulletin up. Look on the left-hand side. You'll see that headline. Christmas is about the unique Son of God born to a virgin. The angel Gabriel here is speaking to Mary. She is a Jewish virgin. The angel has told Mary that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, the one who, who saves people. Look at this. Mary doesn't question the person of the Messiah. Isn't that fascinating? She doesn't even question his coming. She only asks how she can give birth since she's a virgin. Gabriel says this one, to be born of her, is a miracle. This is something God will do. And in his explanation, the angel gets even more specific about the person of this one to be born. Look what he says. He will be deity himself. He will be called the Son of God. Now, sometimes people will say, oh, Son of God, that's just a term that's used of angels. And Gabriel's just declaring, here's what they'll say. He's declaring this birth is a miracle, sure, but it's not divine. In their favorite Grinch voice, they'll be saying, Son of God means angelic. The child's miraculous, but he's not fully God, right? That's what they'll say. Hogwash. God answers this throughout Scripture. I just grabbed one. Look at the book of Hebrews. This is just one of many examples of why that's absurd. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13. Now, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? In case you don't know, Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews 1 specifically is doing a contrast between Messiah Jesus and the angels, concluding that Jesus is different. He is superior to angels. He is the Son of God. Lest anyone think that Gabriel's de declaration here is just hyperbole, look at the description that uh, God gives about Mary's virgin child in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, in Messiah Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Close quote. Mary's son, born in her virginity, is God the Son. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's what it's all about. The old stop animation show, The Little Drummer Boy, tried to bring this out. It's really old now. Any of you ever seen The Little Drummer Boy? Raise your hand if you've seen that, that film. Okay, 
they, they tried to bring this out in two ways. First, Greer Garson, famous actress, she was the narrator. She reads the scripture about Mary giving birth to her firstborn and wrapping him in swaddling clothes. And then there's this scene where the creepy looking little boy, Aaron, I'm sorry, he is, isn't he? I mean, let's be honest. It's a fine show, but that kid, that is creepy drawing. Okay, um, Aaron has this exchange with one of the magi. Look at this. Aaron says, you must help me. And the king says, there's nothing I can do. But you're a king, a mortal king only. But there is a king among kings who would save. I don't understand. This is really good writing. Aaron says, I don't understand. It is not necessary that you understand. Just go to him. Close quote. Is your Christmas full of needs? Like, like the little drummer boy, do you need help? Very likely. Most of us say yes. Maybe you're facing cancer, as many of my friends are. Maybe you're out of work or, or depressed or just unable to handle all the holiday stress. What can you do about it? How can you get your head and your hands around all that needs to be done? You can't. Stop trying. It is not necessary that you understand. Christmas is about the unique Son of God born to a virgin. As the king said to Aaron, just go to him. All God's people said, amen. amen. On the right side of our notes, we point out that Christmas is also about the perfect fulfillment of prophecy. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Bethlehem, Ephratah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity, says Micah 5, 2. The little town of Bethlehem is ground zero for the Messiah. He must be born there in order to fulfill what the prophet Micah spoke hundreds of years before his birth. And there are hundreds of prophecies like this. They're all concerned with Jesus. For example, the book of Isaiah is full of them. Uh, let's just read one. I only grabbed one. Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It's awesome. That's Jesus, right? His birthday is about the exact fulfillment of prophecy just like that, which explains why during our recent study of Galatians, some of you were here when we studied Galatians, we bumped into this amazing phrase, the fullness of time. It's in Galatians chapter 4. I want to talk a little more about this on Christmas Eve, but just, just listen to it right now. Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God's perfect timing, his fulfillment of prophecy, it's a critical part of the Christmas story. A fantastic Christmas story that deals with perfect timing is the classic movie, We Are No Angels. Most people today haven't seen this, this gem of a film. How many of you have ever seen Humphrey Bogart's wonderful story, We Are No Angels? Oh, a few of you have. The rest of you are in for such a treat, wouldn't you agree? Couldn't recommend it highly enough. Just a delightful film. You have, you have homework. Go see We Are No Angels. Um, Humphrey Bogart, Aldo Ray, Peter Ustinov, they happen to arrive at exactly the right moment to save this family this one Christmas. By the way, just to get the whole metaphor, the family they save is stuck on Devil's Island. I'm not going to say any more because I don't want to spoil the story, but it is really fun. It is a perfect play on the idea of the fullness of time, on perfect timing. Friends, do the circumstances here on our Devil's Island have you feeling defeated this Christmas? 
if so, God understands. That's why he sent his son to exactly fulfill prophecy, born in the fullness of time, born onto this devil's island, born under the law, because he who is no angel came here to save us. It's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about the unique Son of God, born to a virgin in the perfect fulfillment of prophecy, and Christmas is about finding glory in the right place. Uh, flip one book to the right. All right, you're in Luke right now, okay? Go one book to the east in your Bible to John. I don't know, it looks like about 30 pages in my Bible. Go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, and let's read the insightful comments from Jesus recorded in verse 44. Go to verse 44, John 5, 44. How can you believe, Jesus says, while accepting glory from one another, you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. John chapter 5 is greatly concerned with faith, specifically trust in the Messiah, and Jesus points out something really, really fascinating here. He points out faith in him gets blocked by something very insidious. It gets blocked by wrongheadedness about glory. Messiah Jesus declares that one reason people don't trust him, one reason people don't trust him is they seek glory from people. Listen, here's the whole context. Uh, John 5, starting in verse 40. You're not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept glory from men. And then verse 44. How can you believe? While accepting glory from one another, you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. That's why people aren't willing to come to Jesus and receive eternal life, because we think human applause is most important. Warped humanity is now, you know this, right? Warped humanity is hardwired to want human approval. We care far more about opinion polls than we do Scripture. We worry, just think about, just think about you and me. We worry about whether our gifts are going to be appreciated, right? We worry about whether some human is going to appreciate our gift instead of appreciating the love of God that inspired our giving in the first place. It's so backwards. We take our eyes off of trusting Jesus and we seek glory from people. Think this through. Think this through. It's very important. When I'm seeking human glory, here's what Jesus is saying in John 5. I can't trust God. I can't. I never get enough. You know this is true, right? When I want human applause, there's never enough applause. Never enough compliments to keep me going. And I don't draw near to Jesus because I falsely assuage my need in human approval. But when I seek God's glory, I trust the Lord. And I appreciate his amazing bounty to me. And I receive full life because I recognize my need and how God has met that need. That's the lesson of John chapter 5. So while human applause, human applause is fine... It can't be what drives me, not if I want to understand what Christmas is all about. Instead, I must be called by the glory of God. I must be called by how he ushers me into glory in a relationship with him. It's like, it's like being in love, all right? When, when the girl of my dreams wants a relationship with me, when Jana wants a relationship with me, I pursue that glory with all of my heart. The stuff of the world just grows dim around me because I only have eyes for her, right? And the approval of the world doesn't matter. The disapproval of the world doesn't matter. This is, this is lived out in everyday life, folks. Christmas is about seeking the right kind of glory. For example, okay, suppose I'm a plumber, all right? And I work very hard. Oh, there's Jana. See, I only have eyes for her. I'm a plumber. And, and I work very hard on Mrs. McGillicuddy's leaky pipes, okay? And I work, and I know, I know that I did it for God's glory. I did a great job because God loves me and he's provided for me. I honored him by doing my best work. I did good work. I charged a fair price. I glorified God. 
if that's true, do I give a whit whether Mrs. McGillicuddy goes onto Facebook to make fun of how dirty I was or how my pants fit? Right? I don't care. I, I receive glory from God by working for him. Mrs. McGillicuddy's praise or laughter makes absolutely no difference to me whatsoever. In the Rankin-Bass Christmas classic, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, that's another old one. How many of you have seen Santa Claus is Coming to Town? Okay, a lot of you have. Um, Chris Kringle and his friends have to learn the lesson of John chapter 5. They learn this lesson. You see, Burgermeister Meisterburger comes to power, and he stops treating the Kringles with respect. For a long time, they had received lots of human applause because they were the first toy makers to the king. But now, they're outlaws. They're not only not appreciated anymore, the, the people in charge have branded them as outlaws. Therefore, they learn that they have to find their hope and meaning, in the words of Fred Astaire, who is the narrator of that, they have to find their hope and meaning before the Lord. That's what the, the movie says. You know, that Burgermeister Meisterburger kind of rejection is something I hear more and more about regarding Christians in today's America. I hear this a lot. Rex Tillerson who is soon to be the Secretary of State for the United States of America, when Rex Tillerson started at ExxonMobil, do you know, you know how they began every meeting? Every meeting at ExxonMobil when Rex started there began with prayer. Every single meeting began with prayer. I had friends who worked there, that was how they started. Now one generation later, people are having a conniption fit over the fact that the man is a big supporter of the Boy Scouts of America. That's a pretty huge Burgermeister Meisterburger shift, wouldn't you say? I don't even consider the Boy Scouts to be all that noble. Anyway, it, it, it's amazing. A very successful businesswoman recently sent me this letter. It's one like many. I've received many letters like this this year. Look, she wrote me and she said, Wayne, please pray for me. I feel great pressure at work to hide my relationship with God, especially that it comes through Jesus. I, I find my joy in the Lord. I really do try to just be who I am, but I would like to keep my job and have advancement opportunities in the company. Close quote. What would you say to her? What, what would you say to yourself? After all, based on, based on what I see, much of your Christmas spirit is being oppressed because of the nasty Burgermeister Meisterburgers who want to squelch you, right? They want you outlawed in this culture. What do you say to yourself about that? How about we listen to what God says? And he says, enjoy your little Christmas tree no matter how people laugh. He says to trust God and find your glory in the only place it really can be found. And the only place glory can be found is in Jesus. Christmas is about finding glory in God alone. All God's people said, amen. amen. In fact, Christmas is specifically about the gift that only God can give. Okay, last time I'll make you turn. One more book to the east. Go to the east one more time in your Bible. Turn to Acts chapter 17. You're in John 5. Go to the right to Acts uh, chapter 17, and we're going to read verses uh, 24 and 25. Acts 17, 24 and 25. Got it? Okay. Paul is speaking here in the city of Athens. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Okay, just stop there. The context is the Apostle Paul's famous speech before the Mars Hill judges in the city of Athens for the Areopagus. There, there's a whole lot to learn in that speech, but for today, we're going to zero in on just this idea, this idea right here. God doesn't need anything. Did you see that? 
Guys, that is a wild idea in the pagan world. Every pagan temple was designed for people to bring in stuff that would help the god. That way, the god didn't have to work. Okay, you bring stuff to the god so they don't have to work. Now, in return, the god provides bounty and protection for his people. In fact, the god will promise to make people rich so they can bring in more. It is the exact same nonsense you could hear at any prosperity gospel church in America today. It's the same pagan nonsense. And through Paul, God says, that is hogwash. The real one true God is not in need of anything from people. He is instead the giver. It is a one-way street of grace where he provides to those who trust him. Oh, God gave the gift. He gave the gift of Christmas, the salvific present that only he could provide. Now, we can give gifts to each other in celebration of God's gift. That's fine. But he doesn't need us to bring anything to his table. We can we usually do give to God. You know why? Because we're so grateful for how he's given to us. We give him obedience. We give him money. We give him love. But all that giving comes because we first received. And that takes humility. It takes submission. Because you know what our pride does, right? It makes us want to say, no, <laughs> no, no, thanks, God. I don't, I don't need anything from you. I can, I can change my life on my own. I I can do things by my own effort. I don't need to submit to you and receive from you. <laughs> no, thank you, no thanks. And that pride makes us miss Christmas. Though the film It's a Wonderful Life is way off in its biblical depiction of angels. Um, the, the story endures because it really does have a great message. And, and the end message of the movie is that we are most reformed. Did you catch this when you saw the movie? We are most reformed when we submit and receive Friends, do we need to receive this Christmas? Of course we do. And what we need to receive is Jesus. We don't need more candles or more toys or more sweaters, although those things are fine. We need Jesus. We need to submit to God and receive His peace. We need to say what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Uh, in fact, let's say it together right now. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Everybody, thanks be to God. For his indescribable gift. Okay. <clears throat> Do you realize what you just read? Indescribable gift. Thanks be to God. And you read it like a bunch of cold people. Okay? It's not acceptable. Stand up. I'm sorry. Stand. Everybody, let's go. It's time for your favorite game. Simon says, let's go. Simon says, it works like this. I am Simon. You must do what Simon says. You must look at Simon at all times. You must only do what Simon says when he says Simon says. You ready? All right. Look at Simon at all Look at Simon at all times. All right. Ready? Simon says, say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And Happy New Year. Oh, I didn't. I, Simon did. That's all right. Simon has mercy. Stay in. Stay in. You're still in. All right. Simon says, say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Very good. Simon says, clap. Now clap again. Okay. That, that, can't, I can't let you go twice. All right. Simon says, touch your shoulder. Simon says, touch your elbow. Simon says, touch your shoulder. Simon says, look at Simon at all times. Thank you. Very good. Very good. Simon says, touch your shoulders. Simon says, touch your ears. Good. <laughs> All right. Now Simon says, touch your elbows. Good, good. Simon says, touch your elbows. Simon says, touch your knees. Simon says, touch your hips. Touch your knees. You should be on your hips. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Simon says, touch your hips. Simon says, touch your knees. Simon says, touch your hips. Simon says, touch your shoulders. Simon says, hold your hands out without hitting somebody. Simon says, clap again. Simon says, give yourselves a round of applause. Good. Now Simon says, let's read together. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. All together, everybody. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you.
Finally, Christmas is about Jesus coming to ransom people. Listen to this. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking. And that, by the way, Son of Man is his favorite term for himself. He uses it more than any other. It has a lot of very heavy prophetic meaning. But for now, just run with the, the text. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Jesus said. Uh, in, in the context, Jesus is explaining. He's explaining to his followers why they should serve other people. And explaining that, the Lord relates the very purpose of Christmas. The reason for Jesus' birth is to give his life. Other scriptures detail how the human soul is trapped in darkness. It is, it is kidnapped by evil. Every human soul is held in bondage. Jesus came to set us free. He came to pay the ransom price for each of us. Since we're referencing films today, one of the best depictions of Mark chapter 10 was Denzel Washington's movie, Man on Fire. Um, in that movie, the, the Christ figure, who is played by Mr. Washington, the Christ figure, Creasy is his name, he gives up his life in order to save this little girl. There was a little girl who was being held ransom. Denzel Washington said in an interview that I read that he chose that role precisely to express his relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus came expressly to die so that people could be ransomed. If you want a Christmas example instead of a Passover one, Frosty the Snowman has a fairly good depiction, right? Frosty the Snowman sacrifices himself for the little girl. She's going to die in the cold. So he goes into the greenhouse with her and he dies to save her. And just when the devilish bad guy thinks he's won and defeated Frosty, happy birthday! He comes back to life, right? He resurrects from the dead. Friend, do you need ransomed? Do you need rescued this Christmas? Of course you do. Every single human does. Because without the rescue of Jesus, we are, we are trapped. We are hostages to our sin. John Piper had a great statement on this in his book, The Dawning of Indestructible Joy. Uh, I liked it so much I put it in your notes. Look at what Piper says. These words in Mark 10, 45, as a brief expression of Christmas are what I hope God will fix in your mind and heart this Advent. Open your hearts to receive the best present imaginable. Jesus giving himself to die for you and serve you all the rest of eternity. Receive this. Turn away from self-help and sin. Trust him. Trust him with your life. Pray with me, please. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for anybody studying with me today that does not know Jesus as Savior, has not trusted him, that you will bring them to you right now. Listen, folks. You are held hostage by your own sin. The, the Bible puts it this way. It says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And, and, and deep inside you, something knows that. You know spiritually there's not life there. But you know what the Bible says? It says God gave you Christmas. Jesus came just for this reason, because he loves you. To give his life, to serve you, to be a ransom for you. And he paid the price, here's how the Bible puts it, so that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Trust him right now. As, as, as Piper put it, trust him with your life. Not yourself, not your parents, 
not your good works, Jesus alone. Confess to him that you believe in Jesus. If you just trusted Jesus as Savior, raise your hand. Everybody else is still praying. Raise your hand. I want to rejoice with you. Good for you. Father, I pray for all of us who are believers in Jesus. I pray that we're like Linus. I pray we're like Charlie Brown. That we find joy no matter what. No matter what the Burgermeister Meisterburgers throw at us, that we drop our security blankets in light of your amazing good news at Christmas. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.